Today's guest is Stacy Klein. She's running for U.S. Senate seat as a Republican. Stacy was raised on a dairy farm in Trempolo County. An Arcadian High School graduate, she was active in sports, music, theater, and many clubs, including her second trip to Washington, D.C. for Project Close Up. She obtained a degree from Carthage College in Kenosha, where she double majored in music and exercise and sports science. The Milwaukee area was her home for several years after college, where her career path took her in other directions, and she spent time as a member of the Milwaukee Symphony. Chorus. Stacy returned to Trempolo County where she lives with her husband, Chad, and her daughter, Mackenzie. She has spent over a decade fighting financial illiteracy in the financial services industry while Chad works for the Army Corps of Engineers. Her three siblings are all military members. This was not an option for Stacy due to congenital heart defects, but she has a strong desire to serve. She has been part of the GET School District COVID Advisory Committee, the GET School District Strategic Planning Committee, and represents her district as a county board supervisor where she is in regular communication with her constituents and strives to go above and beyond. Let's welcome Stacy Klein. Welcome to the Sherlyn Shirley Show. Today's guest is Stacy Klein. She's running for U.S. Senate. She's running against um, Tammy Baldwin, who's been in there for many, many years. Welcome you, Stacy, And maybe you can tell the folks a little bit about yourself and then we'll get started. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate you, Cheryl. And then I appreciate having the opportunity to come on the show and be able to share more of the message. So right now I'm a financial advisor with the campaign and the busyness. I've been maintaining clients. I'm married. My husband works on the Ar- or with the Army Corps of Engineers. He works at our lock and dam here in town. And then I have a 10-year-old daughter who is feisty. She's definitely opinionated and she's a great sidekick to have along on the campaign. We've just been keeping busy going around the state of Wisconsin. We have a 72 county strategy where we want to make people feel that they are not in flyover country and we can get out to meet them and hear their voices. Just really excited to have the opportunity to be involved in this. We live in a rural area. I lived in the Milwaukee area for a little while after college, which was really nice to get to know what it's like to live in the city or the urban areas. Ultimately came back to Tremplow County about 10 years ago. It's really nice to be with my family, just know all of our neighbors and live that rural life. We're fighting hard to preserve preserve that not only for ourselves, but for future generations. That sounds fantastic. And uh, I certainly understand living in a rural area. I lived in a very rural area. Some of the things we fight in rural areas are broadband and things like that, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we find that very difficult. Mm And when we're trying to do things like this, you know, sometimes it can cause (laughs) issues. I wanted to get started. I had some questions and uh, you and I talked Mm -hmm. yesterday briefly, and I did get a chance to meet your husband and your daughter, which was kind of nice at an event. Mm -hmm. And I could tell Mm -hmm. she's definitely very... um, engaging and also a, a huge supporter, which is what should happen. Yeah. And uh, so that's very exciting. So I'm sure she's very excited about going out on the trail too. And like you said, 72 counties and our counties are huge counties too. Many of our counties yes. are gigantic. Yes. So really takes a lot out of you. And I know that financially it can do a lot too. I mm-hmm. appreciate you standing up to be a candidate and a strong woman. Thank you so much for that. Well, thank you. What do you think sets you apart from the sitting <laughs> senator right now and other candidates that are running that people should pick you when it comes to that balance? I'm a conservative Christian. I'm a wife and a mother. Um, I know I mentioned that to another couple that I had met and they said right there separates me from Senator Baldwin. But she's been in government for a long, long time. She entered her first office, I believe, in the mid 80s. And she's been out in D.C. for a quarter of a century. So she's been living off the taxpayers that entire time. She's been voting for deficit spending, bloated bills. In the meantime, for over a decade, I've been fighting for families, for their financial situations, financial literacy, fighting to educate people 
people on how they can take control of their financial situation and not be depending on the government or hoping for support from that. Also been fighting against this whole notion of eliminating women. And we don't see that with our current senator. Even my 10-year-old daughter is very clear on what the difference is between a man and a woman. And it's astonishing how many of our leaders out in D.C. can't seem to answer that question. The vast majority of the country agrees that two genders and we need to fight for women's rights. We've spent so much time over the last couple of decades uh, where the feminism has gone just over the edge in the wrong direction. We need more leaders to step up against things like that. I I totally agree with you 100%. It's fascinating to me, someone who was around um, when Title IX came around. Yes, yes. And, you know, I fought hard at that time because I played on every sport you could possibly play on in high school. You know, we had to like, you know, they gave us a list, go buy a blue shirt, gold shorts, or blue shorts, gold shirt, white white tube socks with blue stripes. And we, (laughs) as women, we had to buy our own. And Title IX came around. We were so excited because we got to have the ball field, such a a refreshing kind of thing to happen. And I wasn't a feminist. I was 13 years old then. You know, I didn't Mm -hmm. know what that was. Mm -hmm. All I knew was we were being treated fair finally, and it seemed like a good thing. And now it seems like we're being pushed aside and turned into something that we're not. And it seems like they're trying to erase what women are. And it also seems like they don't appreciate the fact that being a wife and a mom is just as important as being something else. And And raising children, raising children in a stable home. Mm -hmm. It just seems amazing to me. And we'll get into more of that. I just just am shocked by that. So I'm glad that you approached that and mentioned that because it is very important in today's world. It is. And it's interesting to watch the far left jump from one marginalized minority to another and then just leave that last one out to dry. I mean, not that long ago, we had the Me Too movement Mm. and how big that was. But now, oh, it's it's fine for these men with mental disorders to be in women's safe spaces. Yeah. How did did we arrive there? Anybody, I don't even understand it. And, you know, when you ask the question, even at public school systems, if you ask the question, if a male can walk into a female's restroom right now, they can legally. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that can stop them. That stuns me. I, you know, you have a 10 year old daughter that stuns me and it frightens me. Right. Um, I don't know if she's involved in sports, but you know, you have to really pay attention to that stuff now as a parent. And Mm -hmm. not that you didn't before, but now it's like they come right into your bathroom or right into your locker room and it's okay. And I can't comprehend it. It's just really difficult for me. Yeah. Um, We we need to stop putting up with this. Yes. Thinking my daughter too, she she was in jujitsu for a couple of years and we're taking a little break and looking at going back. One of the big reasons I want her to go back to that is so she can defend herself in case she does get into a situation, which is really unfortunate. And even living in our rural area, I remember when we were kids, we would just jump on our bikes and we'd ride down. You know, we were on a farm. So about a half mile down was this place called Pine Creek and it's unincorporated. It's got a couple bars, a church, a few houses, and we'd go down to the bar and buy candy or Mm -hmm. play with our friends because the church parking lot, we'd play kickball and whatnot. And we just never had those worries. Yeah. My mom packed us a little lunch and said, come home before before the street lights go out. Exactly. We lived by a park and we had a blast. I mean, we had a lot of fun riding our bikes and skateboarding and whatever else. It does seem like it's a very different world. And I'm not saying things didn't happen back then. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. is a totally different kind of issue that we're facing in today's world. And it just seems women are not fighting for women right now. We have to. If not, we're going to be a society of what? I mean, I don't know. There's not going to be any kind of a differentiate nothing. I mean, it's going to be, we're all the same. I mean, it just seems very different to me. Yeah. Why Why did we separate men and women women's sports to begin with? Yeah, I don't understand. Yeah, it's sort of like um, I knew for a fact that I couldn't play a fast p- 
pitch you know, baseball and I had to play fast pitch softball. There's right. a reason for that. It doesn't make any sense. And you don't see any major league women on baseball teams. And I don't know. We're, well, it's very interesting. Yeah, that's the thing, too, because you see all these, I mean, you see men who believe they're women fighting to get into women's sports, but we don't really see that going the other way. No. And I believe there's reasons for that. I know the second part of the question was, you know, what separates me from the other candidates? So as of right now, I know we have one person besides myself who is announced and then a couple of other potentials. And uh, looking at the field, I'm the only one who's had any type of governmental office experience. Serving on our county board has given me the opportunity to learn government, understand learn it in all different levels. My husband also serves on our town board. I've volunteered for everything I possibly can at the county. I'm part of the county ambassador program. So we go down and we speak with the legislators, get to know the state a bit more and what they're doing. There are, I mean, there's nuances and there's different things to learn about how gov government works, how it operates. I can bring that to the table and to this office. I'm also looking at Wisconsin is a purple state. I am conservative and I'll stand in my conservative values. I know I was working with a coach for my business and it seemed like every time we met, we came back to the Bible as being our manual and what we need to go to for answers. So I stand firm in that. But then also having the ability to speak with those in the middle and even those on the left, because um, I think campaigning solely on the far right talking points, maybe we'll get those votes. We need far more than that if we want to win the seat back. And it's for the entire state. So we need to make sure people understand that as a representative, I'm re I'm representing everyone in Wisconsin. I hold st strong my conservative ideals, understanding, again, those nuances of government, not every bill or committee discussion is going to be about these hot topics. We have to be able to have those conversations with people we don't agree with and come to agreements while still fighting for our conservative values. And I've heard that from not only people on our county board, those that watch the meetings. It's really amazing how many people watch our our county board meetings online, speaking to others throughout the state and how I'd be able to bring that to the seat. And like I said, still standing for conservative values. Absolutely. I agree with you. We are a purple state and people should recognize that because we won't win if we don't recognize that. And we have to reach mm -hmm. across to everyone. We have to get them to understand that our principles and our values are basically the same as most people. I mean, when you think about mm -hmm. it, there's about 80% of us we can agree on. It's very interesting that we always focus on the 20% we can't. It is. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And even inside our party, what going on where we do have, you know, we have this whole notion of I'm more conservative than you and this Republican version of um, virtual signaling, which doesn't do us any good. And instead of the infighting, if we would just all come together, we have the same conservative core values. Maybe there's some slight variances in, in certain topics and whatnot. Ultimately, like you said, our as Republicans, we want the same thing. And I really believe that there's plenty of moderate Democrats that want that as well. And independence people in the middle. As we've traveled to the state, uh, I've heard from other people, not only my Self believing that we're entering into another Reagan-esque type of era where the left is progressive, well, the far left. And if they're continually progressing away from our conservative core foundation, then that means they're leaving more and more people behind. I can see where we can have another wave of that, similar to how Reagan did that back in the 80s. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good answer. Why don't you um, maybe name three issues you would focus on, what they mm -hmm. are, what you would do differently than what is being done right now. And hopefully some of that's going to hit on financial. Yeah, actually... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, and two of them fall under that umbrella in some degrees. The first one is, uh, like I talked about, the lack of financial literacy out there. I was curious. I looked up a couple statistics. One that jumped out at me is 54% of our baby boomers are still in the workforce because they have less than $25,000 saved. And you look at, especially in the inflationary environment that we're in, how far is $25,000 going to get you? So they're completely dependent on Social Security and Medicare. We need to keep those programs, but we need to look at the overall budget. And I know this is 
is lofty. It's going to take a lot of people and a lot of efforts. We need to do a fundamental overhaul of the spending. Astonishing to me that, you know, on the local level, we have to stay within the tax levy limits. And sometimes mm-hmm. that's a battle. At the state, they have to balance budgets. Then we get to the federal government and it's as if they can spend, spend, spend. Nobody cares how much. Nobody cares when it's going to get paid back. I mean, can you imagine if you ran a business <laughs> in that matter? <laughs> when you ran a small business, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. I do. Focusing in on how we can make sure that we have that there for our seniors and um, implementing programs where we can provide better financial education. And uh, there's a plethora there. I'm not going to go super deep on that topic because I know I'll get off on tangents just with my financial background. The second one ties into that, looking at that so many people feel that our government has grown into this massive monster. Um, It's involved in so many aspects of our life that we don't want it in. We want the more limited government. Like I said, Tammy Baldwin has been there for a quarter of a century. There doesn't seem to be any programs, like funding programs that the Democrats don't like. Their approach is to throw money at the situation instead of looking at what's the root of the issue? How can we solve that so that we don't have this continually as an issue? It's just a temporary fix. A couple just quick examples on that. Looking at childcare, that's a major issue throughout the country right now. I know Tammy Baldwin co-sponsored a bill. It's the Child Care Stabilization Act. And all that is is throwing money at the situation, um, subsidizing child care. The Wisconsin Counties Association, through Ford Analytics, is an organization that does a bunch of analyzing statistics and looks deeper into issues. They released a report not that long ago about child care, confirmed that money is just a temporary, you know, a temporary fix. Really, we need to start looking at why we're in an environment where both parents have to work in order to pay their bills. What's going on with regulations in childcare? Um, can we make some adjustments there to help the childcare facilities where they aren't spending so much or limited in what they can do? We can take a much deeper dive into analyzing that and seeing what we can do to really solve it instead of just temporarily throw money at it. I think the sad thing about when we do that, when we throw money at it, it seems to then become a program that's set mm-hmm. in stone and we don't ever yes. change it. And that's part of our problem is all these programs programs and we just keep on pouring money into it. So if you let something happen, then it just keeps on happening and you just keep on doing it. And one huge, big example of that would be the educational, public educational system, which is a disaster. Yes, (laughs) More money is not helping. That's for sure. No. And I actually, I spoke with uh, a college classmate about a month ago. He works for the Department of Education in another state. He let me know that the curriculum is, it's only developed through California and Texas. Mm -hmm. And then you look at what's Wisconsin, and I've spoken to area principals, how different the rural area is from the city. And then our, you know, so much of it is, it comes in from California, Texas, but it's done through the urban and city areas. We have different lives, different needs in the rural areas. So if we brought it back to the states, instead of having this one size fits all mentality, uh, then we could regionalize it. I mean, there's just so much, we could do so much better for our kids. And when you look at it, the money is most efficiently and effectively spent at the local level and even Mm -hmm. more so the state level than the federal government. So let's cut out the middleman wherever we can, bring it back to where our local leaders, our state leaders can do what's actually right for our kids and you know, and for these other programs too in all these areas. Yeah, I agree. I know our next one is a little bit right now, a tougher mm-hmm. uh, plane because we're going to talk a little bit about supporting wars and what's going on in our world. And that's one of the things that federally, you know, I mean, state-wise, these guys can't really do much except for pay attention to it. Federally, that's one of the jobs. So my question is, um, do you, 
do you support the wars? And if so, why? And if not, why? And of course, that means Ukraine. And, and we've poured a lot of money into Ukraine. And that's become conversation mm-hmm. piece nowadays. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Israel, mm-hmm. if you can answer both together, you can answer them separately, probably mm-hmm. separately would be better. Yeah. Well, and we've been working on building out our, our foreign policy team uh, just to take in as much information as we possibly can and more so than just what's you know shown to the media. I understand the notion that supporting Ukraine is going to prevent a larger conflict later down the road that could cost us more and cost us lives. Israel isn't going to be able to defend themselves against the neighboring countries if to be at a, you know, a probable escalation. My hang up is I remember when my siblings got or were going into the military and you know my generation was serving and every you know we had people going to Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, Kuwait. There was there was pride and strength in that. The US has, you know, we've been that country that has had the finances, the the military, the strength, like I said, where we've been able to not only fight for our freedom, I mean, our country is rooted in military and, uh, you know, fl- fighting bloody wars to, to give us our God-given rights. And we've been able to do that for other countries. But then you look at what this administration has done, you know, especially through COVID, how we've just continually weakened our military. I mean, we had tens of thousands of great people, strong people serving that left the military over an experimental vaccine. Mm-hmm. And those are the type of people that we need in there fighting. I do get a bit torn on what we should be doing in these situations because we want to help. Um, I think that's just our nature. But do we have the personnel and the resources to really give it what it needs? Well, I told you earlier that I had served in the Navy proudly. I think what shocks me now is like when I saw the st- statistics, my uh, brother-in-law and I talk all the time about this because he was Army. So he calls me Navy. I call him Army. And we kind of get into little spats. <laughs> here and there about the football games. And uh, we were talking about this. The statistics showed that uh, the Navy is going to be down for this year at least 7,500 recruits. Wow. That's gigantic. I mean, it was always a pride. I mean, I was... I was very proud. I served under Ronald Reagan and mm-hmm. and I was very proud of our George Bush. I'm sorry. I was very proud of what I was doing at the time. It was like esteem to be in the military. People respected you. Now I see this, you know, after Afghanistan. I mean, we've seen some debacles from this uh, administration that, yes. that we haven't seen since Vietnam. Yes. And it's shocking to witness this. And so that doesn't make it where you want to go into the military. Why would I want to go under this guy? Now he's got us into wars. Port, we can help which we've always done. We are a strong nation, or at least we were a strong nation. Right now, our commander-in-chief, which is frightening, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. and that's just me saying that. You don't have to say that as a candidate, but I'm saying it. It's frightening as someone who did serve before. I'm grateful that I don't have a family member in the military right now because it's frightening. You don't know what's going to happen. Are they going to send you in there without weapons? Are they going to send you to be humanitarian aid? Or that three of your siblings are in the military. And yes. that has to be eye-opening for your parents and for yourself, your family. Family. Thank them for their service because we are grateful that it seems like, you know, the Midwestern people, we seem to be people who don't mind standing up for our country. Yes. <laughs> We're yeah. proud to do that. Yes. Yeah. And it is, it's it's sad to see. Okay. So a lot of people my age, you know, they're getting into, they've put in their 20 years or getting close to that, but they don't want their kids to go right. into the military because it's a completely different yeah. system. I've heard that. I mean, when you have DEI that you're worried yes. about more than you are serving the nation, I don't care what color or what nation or anything somebody is next to me that's fighting. I don't care. Yes. We're yeah. fighting for the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm not understanding in today's world. It's becoming more difficult to grasp that. And then when you see the news and you see what happened in Israel compared to Ukraine and 
and honestly, I mean, this is my opinion on Ukraine. It's been mm-hmm. a very crooked country for many, many years. Yes, yes, yeah. And I still think, obviously, that they should be able to protect their borders. But it's amazing how we're fighting to protect <laughs> other people's borders, but not our own. Yeah, I'm, I'm lost mm-hmm. on that. It, of it, course, it, again, that's my opinion. <clears throat> yeah. And then going back to that, too, where we see so many people in our country are hurting. I mean, just the inability to go to the grocery store and purchase your groceries or fill your tank up with gas. And, you know, I mean, the way inflation has been hitting so hard and it's so we still have the inflation. I don't understand how this administration can go around and talk about our strong economy and unemployment is down or whatever else. Well, those we know what goes into those numbers. Yes, we do. Um, so just completely oblivious to what is actually happening. So there's a lot of Americans, a lot of Wisconsinites who are just livid because they see all of this money going to support other countries. If it is the case that we're doing this to support Ukraine and prevent a larger conflict and more expenditures, um, more personnel going over there, then our government hasn't done a good job of communicating that to the American people. There's so much surrounding, like you said, with Ukraine, where it, it's suspicious that we're sending all this money there. Yeah, compounded out with Israel and whatever else is going on globally. And at some point, we just have to say, okay, we don't have the money or the resources. Because let's say let's say something does happen and we do have to go to a global conflict. Do we have the foundation and the strength, the personnel to do that? Maybe we should be spending our time building that and be prepared in case something does happen of that magnitude. Well, you know, we should be worried about uh, making EV tanks, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I won't go there. Well, that was another of the spending issues that I talk about when I'm out on the campaign trail that the Wisconsin DOT through the, the infrastructure bill got a, seven, a $78 million grant. Because that drives me insane. We send them all this money and then we fight through these grants and programs. We spend send our dollars, we get pennies back and then they're restricted. We can't even do what we need to with the money. The grant had to be something green. So they're putting in EV chargers all over the state on the highways and the major roads. Um, but then you get into the issues uh, like with gas stations, if they're going to sell the electricity that they would have to be considered a um, public utility. Mm-hmm. So there's hangups there. I'm sure you're familiar with that. I looked at it. What if they took the $78 million and were able to give, that'd be a little over a million dollars to each county. Typically it takes, I've heard it's about $800,000 to $900,000 to resurface a mile of road. That would actually make an actual impact, mm-hmm. especially traveling around in Southeast Wisconsin. Oh my gosh, I we can't complain about our roads up here. <laughs> I know, I know. I've done it too. So one of the things too that, that gets me about the electric vehicles um, that fascinates me about people saying, oh, we'll just go out and buy one. Well, first of all, they're not very affordable. And secondly, Mm -hmm. uh, charging stations. And thirdly, in the winter, Winter, they don't do well. And we live where I have snow on my ground right now. Yes, I know. (laughs) So, you know, you wake up to snow on October 31st and it's only about an inch and a half, but still, it's still Mm -hmm. snowing and so frustrating because it's cold. People that live in urban areas, okay, if that's what you want to do. Where we live, Mm -hmm. you know, just to go out and warm your car up takes a while. I've done a lot of research on these. I'm not interested in them at all. I'm not interested in paying 8000 for a battery or whatever it's going to cost and 14000 to put a charger into my home so I can plug mm-hmm. it in every night and pay more for the electricity. I, it's ridiculous and it needs mm-hmm. to stop. So I mm-hmm. hope we can get it to stop. It's ridiculous. You know, I, I'm all for environment going green, doing the best you can. These mills are the killing, yep. killing birds. They're yes. making it hard for uh, the whales. I mean, all these things, they never 
think outside of the box. Yeah, well, they just had an emotional tie to it. Oh, we're saving the environment. Well, like, how are these products manufactured? And Correct. Where are the- we getting the parts? Where yes. are the parts coming from? Yes. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. Can they be recycled? What are they made of? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look at the batteries and you know, there's opposition to mining here in the U.S. Well, right. the, those special kind of metals have to be mined in other com- countries and then shipped here. And you hear about the tonnage that has of earth that has to be moved. Um, and of course, it's diesel engines moving all of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's this there's it's almost like the Wizard of Oz. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. You know, <laughs> it is, you're right. It is. And it, that's good. Good way of putting it. Can't you get people into a room and network and talk about all these brainstorms? Let's say, OK, what, what could go wrong? Yeah. And these are the things that can go wrong. And how do we fix it? When I drive up north now and I pass Rice Lake on the right hand side, all you see is those. It's horrible. Off of the highway. That's what like you see. You're perfect. in the north land. No, mm-hmm. actually, what I saw was all the. Solar. Oh, the yes. Yes. OK. Solar panels everywhere for yes. acres. And I just think to myself, what have they done? It's just not a, a good look for what we are. You know, you talk about environment. I don't want to look at that. I want to see the pine trees. I want to see the leaves changing. I want to yep. see animals. I don't want to see panels for acres and acres. That's all yep. you see. Honestly, in the winter, we really don't get that much sun. Yeah. <laughs> and well, then and where's the power going? Is yes. it going to help the people that live there? Because we're having this issue right here where I live in my community mm-hmm. and they're putting up more and more and more and none of the electricity, none of it is going to help anyone in this area. But we have to look at it. I didn't want to get off on a tangent. Sorry. But issues that really do affect regular citizens, we are fed up. Now you can be for this kind of thing. You can be for it. But I would like to sit down with people that are and ask them, did you think about this? Did you think about that? I mean, it all sounds good putting solar panels on your roof. That's great. Mm-hmm. If you can use your own electricity, I think that's yeah. fantastic. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think the only question I'd have with that is, you know, are is there a way to recycle or what do you do with the panels after they've uh, exceeded their use? And then uh, another question, talking to people recently, I mean, all these sa- solar panels are a dark color, so they throw off heat. Mm-hmm. It may be okay during the winter, but then is that contributing to, you know, heat during the summer? So again, it's uh, people are going off emotion in the surface of, oh, hey, we're hoping or helping the environment and not really delving in to see what this really is. Correct. So I think we did get off of it a little bit and I'm yeah. sorry about that. <laughs> like I was talking about, how can we defend our freedom or how can we defend freedom around the world when we have an administration seems to be held a bit, hell bent on diminishing the freedom we have here. Yeah. And so, I mean, we are to some extent fighting an internal enemy. And then of course you get into the whole border issue and who's been let in and what's going to happen with all of that. Again, you know, we want to help, uh, but we also need to make sure I mean, it's just like you think of your own house. Well, if you live in just a, a shack and can barely afford to feed yourself, you know, how are you going to be able to take people in and, and help them? Or, you know, you don't have money to send to help people. So we need to, I mean, and as of right now, we're just putting everything basically on this unlimited credit card. And I know another analogy that jumped in my head, you know, what if you had parents that paid for your stuff all your life? And, you know, it seems like they're really successful. And even, even as you got older, they'd buy lavish gifts for you and your kids. And then when they passed away, you find out that it was all borrowed. 
And now mm-hmm. it's your responsibility to pay it back. And what our government's been doing is just, oh, well, I'm not going to pay it. We'll just push it down to the next generation. Yeah, it's kind of it's, sad. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. We witnessed that for a long time. What That's what I see. When mm-hmm. we are 31 trillion in debt, it's, mm-hmm. how do you get out of that? I, yeah, I don't even know. It's higher now. And it, yeah, it's unsustainable. I mean, it's only a matter of time before the, you know what hits the fan and we can't go any further. Well, I know recently I received a letter from Fair Immigration. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them or not, but they sent it out saying that the World Relief Wisconsin is looking to resettle refugees in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, without conferring with local elected officials as the law requires. I was a little stunned when I got that letter. And of course, being from originally from the Northland, I was shocked. Eau Claire, what is going on? And then Mm -hmm. um, refugees, where are they from? I mean, I I happened to go down to Madison last Wednesday and a couple of the reps, and they basically said that, yes, they had just heard about it the day before. Mm -hmm. They were saying that it was supposed to be Somalia refugees, and they don't even know how many or any anything yet. That's what I heard. Now, you had said that you had gone to a meeting up there. So I kind of wanted to hear a little bit about that and what your take is on all this. Sure. Uh, yeah, I went to Eau Claire a couple Thursdays ago, um, and I believe it was the County Republican Party that gathered people together to discuss this. It was at the VFW in Eau Claire, and it was packed out. There was standing room only. So a lot of concerned citizens, again, everyone was just hearing of this. And they had a couple of uh, more so experts speak to this. Um, there was a gentleman from Minnesota who describe what's going on because I didn't realize that they there's times where they fly refugees up to Canada and then they come over through our northern borders. And so then that's why we're seeing issues in northern Minnesota, really not all that far from where, where we are. Um, so it's these larger organizations who are supposedly Christian-based and they want to help refugees. We already take in 75% of the world's refugees. They're supposed to, from what I understand, go through the state and uh, go through government to discuss bringing these refugees. Uh, But in this case, they bypassed the state, which they said they could do. And then they went to the city of Eau Claire and had someone sign off for this. It's supposed to be 75 refugees, but history shows that you can always multiply that number by at least three or four, or I'm sorry, four or five, because they bring in family members. Um, There's many parts of the states where this is happening. And um, there's been surveys done, you know, who was the family member that brought you in? And they just, it wasn't a family member. They just happened to maybe know somebody or catch a name. And a lot of stuff that's being done without proper procedure. Again, like we talked about with the war issue, do we have the resources and the ability to take in people? You and I had discussed a little bit too, where this is going to affect every system in the area and they can settle um, or they can be put up. It just has to be within a hundred miles of Eau Claire. It was also said that if that gets rejected, uh, from what I understand, that could still happen. Then they're just going to come down to La Crosse. Well, I'm in Trumple County, sandwiched right between those. So it's going to affect us either way. Another concerning issue is that they're not expected to assimilate to America, bringing in completely different cultures. And depending on where they are from countries in the world, they might be anti-Christian, you know, very different lifestyles. So we appreciate that our country was built on immigrants. And, you know, as Republicans, we always say legal immigrants. We had a process and a system for that. This appears to be just another way for the government to dictate how we live our lives, what kind of restrictions we're going to have. 
And another uh, thing that they mentioned is that local churches will help with this because they believe they're doing something good. They're only expected to help them for a limited amount of time. And then I don't know if they've gotten jobs or how they're going about their lives. Otherwise, they're on the government tax roll. We, we already have a major issue of too many able-bodied working adults of working age who are living off the government. And now we're just going to add to that and increase the tax burden on those who are working. And the sad part is that, uh, truthfully, Eau Claire can't afford that. Right. Who can? And right. then it taxes your medical, your health industry, your uh, police, uh, your schools. Mm-hmm. I, I just I just don't understand how an organization who, who claims to be Christian can do that and bring people, like you say, that won't assimilate. And that's part of the problem. They mm-hmm. don't assimilate. And then all of a sudden you have three, four hundred different people from different areas that do not want to assimilate to what we are. That's where the issue comes in. Of course, we're, I would I will be called a racist for that. I am not a racist. I've never been a racist. I, I'll just say this. This is the third place I've lived in the state of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And I have less land here than I've had anywhere else. Uh, the school system is worse than any school school district mm-hmm. I've ever been around. I pay more taxes here. It blows my mind. And I have a smaller house. That's the other thing, too. We downsize. And so it blows mm-hmm. my mind that that's what's happening. And then to think that I'm within the 100 miles of Eau Claire. And we had this issue happen when the Afghanistan refugees came over, were not yeah. vetted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I heard, too. These people were not vetted. And that's probably the scariest part. We already know that there are sleeper cells in the United States coming across the southern borders. There's issues that you are going to face as a candidate and if you're elected as a senator that are before this, we haven't had to face that often. I was talking to a friend this morning and we were talking a little bit about how it was in the late 60s and the 70s. And this is what this time reminds me of, is what's going on with all these college mm-hmm. kids. And we had mm-hmm. all the issues going on then too, bombings yes. and yeah. SLA and all these groups and, you know, sort of like BLM and, and Antifa and all this stuff that's gone on. And we've allowed it to happen. We have to get back to common sense and we have to get back to people that are serving to serve the reason they're supposed to be there to serve, not for life, as many of them have done. And that's on both sides, Republican and Democrat. Mm -hmm. They need to retire and allow people like yourself to be elected and get in there and make some changes that really do need to happen. Because I don't think that you want this to be a career. Right. And that was the intention of our, you know, our founding fathers, that we would have our citizen legislators, like, take your turn. You'd spend some time serving, then go back to your career or, you know, your civilian life. Yeah, we've gotten completely away from that. And I mean, you just like at how many aspects of our government are what our founders warned us of. Right. You know, what if don't, our- don't want to have term limits because they get voted in and then all of a mm-hmm. sudden it starts going to, you know, a different mm-hmm. kind of an attitude. And that's very unfortunate. I think we do need to go back to term limits and we have term limits on a president and there's a reason for that. I, I just want to say thank you for being willing to just sit here and talk to me about all of this. And, and I know we've kind of gone off script a little bit, but <laughs> I think that's good because we talk about many different things and many different issues that a lot of people don't aren't aware of. How would you handle the fiscal situation our country is facing? I mean, we're adding another $2 trillion this year and mm-hmm. same next year, or is there, are we going to keep compounding? And we need more fiscal conservatives to stand up and be the adults in the room. I'll see on Tammy Baldwin's Facebook page where it's just this constant, I mean, you see the theme of I, 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 me, me, me on there, but it's I 
brought this funding back for this program and I did this, you know, and it's always talking about bringing money. It's going to suck for a while, but we need to put the brakes on the spending and develop a game plan to buy down this debt. It's going to take, it's going to take people being adults in the room. We need to separate the emotion from the logic and common sense. I know that's something I do get to do a lot in my profession. When it comes to the market, people can get very emotional, but then Mm -hmm. when you bring them back to the logic, history and the common sense, then you know, you do a lot for them. And we need those types of leaders to get to Washington, put their foot down and say enough is enough, you know, almost like you would tell your kid, no, we don't have the money to spend on that. We're going to rein it in. So not only reducing the spending, but then prioritizing, like I talked about with all these different programs where we have the the federal government as the middleman. So all this money is getting filtered through the federal government. And like I said, we're fighting to get it back via grants and programs, and it just doesn't make any sense. And it's costing us uh, costing the taxpayers so much money that fundamental overhaul and change a lot of like what Senator Johnson talks about, and it's going to take a massive effort. uh, But that's what I'd be advocating for um, if elected to this seat. That sounds fantastic. And I hope that I live to see it. That's what my wish is. (laughs) Very scary right now. And I, you know, I worry about my son, his wife, and they haven't started a family yet. They're Mm. planning on it. And I worry about that grandchildren coming into the world because it is a very different world than what I was raised in. I want to thank you very much. Now, I want you to tell people how and where they can find out more information about you and if they want to volunteer, help, or donate, Mm -hmm. where they can find that information out. Just um, let us know. And then if they want to reach you or something, how they can reach you. Sure. So my website is Stacy for Wisconsin. That's all spelled out. And my first name is S-T-A-C-E-Y-F-O-R and then spell it Wisconsin.com. So they can find some more information on there. My Facebook is Stacy for Wisconsin. Like and uh, follow that. Once a week, I'm releasing an opinion piece with just more in-depth information on how I feel on a particular subject. And uh, we've been able to reach a lot of people with that. So that's on my Facebook. We'll be getting those up on the um, website as well. Uh, If you're more into Instagram, Twitter, we're just starting those. So again, Stacy for Wisconsin, they'll go to social media. So that's uh, true. Yeah. And also go to podcasts, by the way, Stacy. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I love podcasts. (laughs) Me too. I listen to a lot of podcasts. That's Mm -hmm. usually where I get all of my information. And so (laughs) I just want to say thank you so much. It was great talking to you and getting to know you a little bit better. And I wish you the very best. I know it's not easy going around the state, like I said, and the amount what it costs for gas and things like that. And raising money doing this is not easy either. Everybody has candidates that they donate to Mm -hmm. or they donate to a party. And I'd say people out there, as a person who has donated to people, um, pick your candidate and donate to your candidate and do it early. I I always find it very interesting that people always say, well, I'll wait till after the primary. Well, you want to pick who's going to win the primary. That's the important part. Giving you a little plug there. Thank you so much for coming on. And is there anything else that you would like to point out or anything that you'd like to end on? And then I just want to say thank you for listening to the Sharon Shirley Show. You can find us on pretty much every platform, hosting, podcast hosting site. You know, take a listen, share it and get her name out there and help her a little bit too. Thanks. Yeah, I'll just say a quick thank you and how I've been ending as I go around and speak that we need to put on the armor of God, get to work, do the the tough things necessary to bring our country back to the exceptionalism that we grew up with so we can preserve it for our future generations. All right. There you go, folks. Uh, Stacey Klein running for U.S. Senate. Thank you, Stacey. You have a great day. Thanks.